0: Welcome to our visitors as well in our midst. Good to have you here with us. Let's introduce by saying um, my name is Aaron, for those who do not know me. Um, and I'm a Bible worker here at 7th Day Adventist Church. And as you probably could tell from my accent, I am not from Hawaii. <laughs> and not from America, for that fact, too. And I'm from the um, country of England, London, England, in particular. Well, this morning, as we start, I just want to say, recently, I was asked a question by a friend of mine back in England, actually. Um, We're talking about the way things are going on in the world, and he asked me a question. that goes something like this, why does it seem Like Satan has greater influence over God. Why does it seem like that? I'll rephrase it this way. How come it seems as if Satan has more power over us than God? That's a serious question, right? And it requires study and understanding. But God has given us an answer of which we will look at today. Let's bow our heads as we open in prayer. Our Father which art in heaven this morning once again, we thank you for your presence being here. And Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit especially to speak right now. Speak through me. All I could do is humble myself before you. And please hide me behind the cross. May it be high and lifted up today that souls may be drawn unto Jesus Christ. Speak to every heart. May your angels move amongst the pews so that you may banish the enemy and his agencies, so that we may only receive the message you have in store for us today. Guide us now, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the conflict that we are engaged with? All races go through it, all cultures go through it, all people will go through it till the end of time. What is this conflict that we will go through? You know, the Bible does speak about it. Turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3. And let's look at the first prophecy in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. So if you all have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me. Genesis chapter 3, and let's look at verse 15. Verse 15. Hope there's Bibles in the pew so that you could turn with me. Just so you know, as I was studying on this, picked up my Great Controversy. It's my copy from England. It says, Love Under Siege. And it has a picture of Jesus and Satan fighting over a man. This is the battle we face each day. And that's what God is going through for us. That's what Jesus Christ went through for us. And every day, it takes the wrestle of each man to choose which side they're on. So what is this conflict? Genesis 3 and verse 15. Genesis three fifteen. It reads, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What is the conflict? I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. The conflict... In this divine sentence which God made against Satan is a prophecy which foretold or foreshadowed the great conflict after the fall of man. There will be enmity, it says. But what is enmity? In the Greek, it says that this word is hostility or hatred. In it's root meaning to be an enemy of. So who is your enemy today? Is it God or is it Satan? Why is it significant for us to know this conflict that we are facing? I ask this question, why? Because I want you to know, do you know how serious it is for us as human beings to live on this earth since man has first fallen, Do you realize how serious it is? Let me read a quote from Great Controversy, page 505. It says, when man transgressed the divine law, his nature became evil, and he was in harmony and not at variance with Satan. You understand that? When man first transgressed the divine law, man's nature became evil and he was in harmony with Satan, not at variance against him. Goes on to say, there exists naturally no enmity between sinful man and the originator of sin. So our natures are inclined to choose Satan over God. Both became evil through apostasy. And had not God specially interposed, Satan and man would have entered into an alliance against heaven. And instead of cherishing enmity against Satan, the whole human family would have been united in opposition to God. So we have to thank God that Christ came. How can we see this from the Bible? Turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. Seen clearly here in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. We all there? Say amen. It says, because the what? We all there? Because the carnal mind is what? Enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So the carnal nature, which we have, is enmity against who? Against God. Not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Go in your Bibles again. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And let's look at verse 4. Real there? Amen? It says, Ye adulterers, And adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is what? Is enmity against God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of who? I ask today, who is your friend? The world or God? God. I praise God. What did God do to counteract all of this? What did God do? Familiar text, which we've been going to, I believe, probably for the last few months. We've passed the Kiala and many different messages. Let's go back there. 1 John chapter 4. What did God do to counteract all of this? The enmity that we actually had in our natures toward God, what did he do to counteract all this? 1 John chapter 4, and let's look at verse 10. 1 John 4, 10. It says, herein is what? Love. Not that we did what? Loved God, but that he what? he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen? What's propitiation? Another word for that is, as the um, Greek and Hebrew dictionary says, is expiator. What does that mean? Someone who makes amends or reparation. What does that mean? It means someone who compensates. For something that we have done wrong. That's what Christ did. He was the propitiation for our sins. So he compensated for sins that we have chosen to do. The enmity that we had with God. What else did he do? Turn with your, me and your Bibles, one of my favorite texts. Romans chapter 5, and I believe I shared with this, this one with you last time that I was here. Romans chapter 5, let's look at verses 6 through to 8. And when you're there, say amen. Romans chapter 6, sorry, 5, verses 6 through to 8. It reads 4. Because when we were yet without what? Without strength. In due time, who? Christ died for the what? You sure it doesn't say godly? Are you positive? Christ died for who? The ungodly. Goes on to say verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die verse 8 but God commendeth his what his love toward us in that while we were yet what sinners Christ did what? Died for us. Hence the text, John 3.16. You can all say it, I believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, it was God's love for us that we can acknowledge the promise God gave in wanting to put enmity between us and Satan. It was his love. But where do we see the Father's love? Where did Christ go for you and for me? He went to the cross of Calvary. Now to many, it's like an airy-fairy story God's love upon the cross for me, he died, and we say to set me free. But what is the power of the cross? I want you to acknowledge this today because Christ was tempted. And telling me with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Christ was tempted, like he was tempted in the wilderness, to do something. On the cross, we know that prior to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed a prayer. You remember what that prayer was? What did he say to his father? Uh-huh. Take this cup from me, he said. You think Christ really wanted to go to the cross? You really think Christ wanted to go to the cross? You think he really wanted to die upon the cross? The nature he took upon himself was saying, no, don't go. But what did he say to his father? Nevertheless, not what? My will, but what? Thy will be done. Just before we read Matthew, hold your finger there. Turn with me to Philippians chapter two. I just want to read this text. Philippians chapter two. And let's look at verse eight. We all there? Say amen. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled himself and became what? Obedient unto what? Death. Even the death of the cross. The father was telling Christ, go to the cross. His nature was saying, no, I don't want to go. But what did he say? Not my will, but thy will be done. He could have easily said, you know what? Forget human beings. They've chosen to sin. I haven't chosen to sin. Let them suffer for what they have chosen to do. But the love of God permeated in Jesus Christ. The love of the Father for you and for me. Back to Matthew chapter 27. Starting with verse 39, Matthew 27. It says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyeth the temple and buildest it in three days, do what? Save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. It was a temptation. He could have yielded to what the nature was saying and said, you know, yeah, I am the Son of God. Let me prove to them that I am the Son of God. I can come off the cross and leave them in their sins." He could have chosen to do that. Goes on to say verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the where? The cross, and we will believe in. Or we will believe him. He could have proved to the priests and the scribes, and the elders, that he was the son of God. He was the king of Israel. But it would have only be for his own personal recognition. And in a sense, he was recognized, but at this moment, he wasn't recognized as the king of Israel. He wasn't recognized as the savior of the world. He could have tried to prove to everyone who he really was. But he submitted to the Father's will. Stay upon the cross. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Could have tempted the father. See, the Satan was using these men and women to tempt him. Just like Satan tempted him in the wilderness. But do you know what kept Christ upon the cross? He looked through eternity, and he saw you and me. And he said something. He saw all the races of men, those who will choose him. Do you know what he saw? The power of sin broken in your life. Let me break it down in this fact. Christ was willing rather to die than for sin to have its continual control upon human beings. Let me say it another way. Christ was really willing rather to die than to disobey and sin. Obedience unto death. The power of the cross. God's love to save human beings, because what was Jesus' name? Hmm. For he shall save his people from their war. So would he have left us in our sins? No. Why I start this way? It because we so easily succumb to sin. We so easily compromise that it seems so much easier to sin than to choose God. But Christ came to break the power of sin holding in your life. So I ask again, why does it seem... That Satan has so much more power over us than God. Why? The love of God has been manifest upon the cross of Calvary. Christ willing to die rather than to sin. I ask this question, what would you rather do? What's the greatest battle we fight every single day? Faith I Live by, page 87. The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God requires a struggle. But the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. You must submit your will to God. In Thoughts and Amount of Blessings, page 141, it says the Christian life is a battle and a march, but the victory to be gained is not won by human power. The field of conflict is the domain of the heart or the mind. The battle which we have to fight, the greatest battle that was ever fought by man, is the surrender of Of self to the will of God. The yielding of the heart to the sovereignty of love. That's who you're yielding yourself to. I contrast it. God showed his love to you. But what does Satan show to you? The old nature born of blood and of the will of the flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The hereditary tendencies, the former habits, must be given up. You see why this is a great struggle? The hereditary tendencies and the former habits or the cultivated tendencies must be given up. This is the conflict we face each and every day where is your enmity where is your hatred where is your hostility who is your enemy because this is played out in every decision we make in our lives who is your friend the world or god i look back over my life Years of university are very critical, i say, for a student, for a young person. You're away from family, away from those who care for you with so much love that they want to just simply put a hedge around you to protect you and to keep you, my mother. Well, I left home and I went off to university. And while at university, I want you to uphold the standard. I'm a Christian. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I love God. I want to serve God with all my heart. To do all that is right and pleasing in His sight. Going away from, to university is one of Satan's playgrounds. Let me say it that way. In the city of London, everyone's there. You have millions of people walking up and down the streets of London every day. So much activity going on. Many times you kind of like lose your mind. You don't even know what's going to happen next. The bright lights. The immorality that is right in front of you. Many times you look upon it, at first it's like a shock. But then after you see it, so often, you sort of get used to it. Oh, well, I always see that. That's nothing. That's tempted, Because the enemy puts temptations before us every single day. What choices do you make with those temptations? I was tempted to go to um, a club to party with some friends from university. Knowing what they do there, the dancing, the drinking, the smoking, and all these things, in my mind, I'm like, no, I, I shouldn't go there. But your friends pressurize you not. You are, don't worry about it, nothing would happen. So you think, well, you know, yeah, I'm around friends, nothing would happen. Then, you know, the pride comes up, you know, I'm a I, I won't smoke and I won't drink, I'll just go, I'll associate because I want to win a soul to Christ. <laughs> we start to compromise. One thing, now praise God, I didn't go into every detail of the scenes that you see in these clubs and these parties. But for someone who so easily surrenders themselves to Satan, it could lead from one step to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, to where does sin take you finally? To death. Many of my friends, I've seen end some close to death. friend of mine even shot. Many friends who today are out in the world and they don't know what to do from day to day grew up in the church, the conflict we face every day, choosing God or choosing the world. What are the choices we make? Do we choose to love or do we choose to hate? For a child, do we choose to be naughty or do we choose to be nice? Do we choose to be patient, or do we choose to be impatient? How can we have the victory over this great battle in our lives? What is the Bible definition of how we are saved? For by what? For by grace are ye saved through? Well, the Christian world says, you know, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. But how is the life? Let me ask that question. We're saved by grace, but how is the life we live? For by grace are ye saved through faith, what is grace? Turn with me in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter twelve and verse nine. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Let's look at verse nine. You all there? Say amen. And he said unto me, now let me just stop here. Some have in their Bible read italicized, is that correct? This first part of the text is the words of Jesus. The second half is the words of Paul. So let me read it this way. And he, Jesus, said unto me, my what? My grace is what? sufficient for thee for because my what my strength is made perfect in weakness paul speaking now most gladly therefore will i rather glory in my infirmities weaknesses things that i easily succumb to that's the what the power of what? Of who Christ may rest upon me. God's grace is what? Sufficient for you. His strength is made perfect in weakness. So God's grace is what? His strength. As well as His power as Paul says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So if Christ is giving his strength and his power by offering us grace as a free gift, why do we seem so powerless against Satan and his temptations? If so many Christians today profess we are saved by grace, why is it that we are so powerless against temptation? Great Controversy, page 507. Why is it that he meets with no greater resistance? Why are the soldiers of Christ so sleepy and indifferent? Because they have so little real connection with Christ. Did you hear that? Because they have so little real connection with Christ. Because they are so destitute of his spirit, sin is not to them repulsive and abhorrent, as it was their master. As I told you, when I went into the city of London, as I saw, you know, the bombardment, of the temptations, the sins that you see all around you, at first it shocked, but then after a while, what happened to me? I just seem like, this is nothing. I see every single day. They do not realize the exceeding evil and malignity of sin, and they are blinded both to the character and the power of the prince of darkness. There is little enmity against Satan and his works because there is so great, ignorance concerning his power and malice and the vast extent of his warfare against Christ and his church. goes on to read, while men are ignorant of his devices, this vigilant foe is upon their every track, every moment. He's intruding his presence. Now, I want to slow down here. He is intruding his presence in every department of the household. In every street of the cities. And dare I say the next one. In the churches. Do you see why so many people Hate to say it, but I have to say it. You know why we come to church? Sometimes we, we look quickly to see who's preaching. We sit down, and it's like, okay, when he starts to preach, I'll just God has a message for you. Even in the worst of preachers, and I say myself, there is a message for each and every one of us. Even if it is just one text you could take away home. That may be all you need to overcome the sin that is taking control of your life. He's intruding his presence in every department of the household, in every street of the cities, in the churches. In the national councils, in the courts of justice, what's he doing? Perplexing, deceiving, seducing, everywhere ruining the souls and bodies of men, women, and children. Breaking up families. Pause here. I'm a product of a home that was broken. I say was broken. Why I say was, my father left the home, yes, but who took the place of my father? God did. So when God hears, you and I pray, you may be a product of a broken home. When God hears the prayer from your lips saying, our father, do you know what it does to him? I say, it's like it puts chills down his spine. Like any earthly father or mother, when they hear their child saying, Daddy or Mommy, what does it do to your heart? It gives you joy. The enemy is trying to break down our families. He's sowing hatred. He's causing emulation, strife, sedition, and murder. And this is what happens to us, the Christian world. And the Christian world seemed to regard these things as though God had appointed them. And they must exist. You think God really wanted this to happen? The breakdown of families? The hatred we have toward one another? The strife we have amongst one another. The ruining of the souls and the bodies of men. We act many times as if this is natural. It should just happen. This is the common mindset of a Christian. Satan is continually seeking to overcome the people of God by breaking down the barriers which separate them from the world. You see how he's doing it? By making us seem as though this is okay, he's easily breaking down those barriers which should be separated between us, so, which we should be separated from the world. Conformity to worldly customs converts, hmm, let me say it clearly so that you can understand Conformity to worldly customs or the things of the world converts the church to the world. Not the world to Christ. It never happens. And I say it this way as well. I have friends, and I've shared with my sisters, um, fellow Bible workers. I have some friends who have chosen... To have relationships with those in the world. Now one in particular saddened my heart. She outrightly told me, you know, I'm in this relationship because I want to try and win this person (laughs) to Christ. But she's chosen to do it in the world. She's now doing the things in the world, of the world, and thinking that she can try and win this soul to Christ. Conformity to worldly customs converts the church to the world, it never converts the world to Christ. You may have good intentions. You may love that person, and praise God you want to love that person, but that doesn't mean you have to be in that type of relationship. You can win this. You can, only through the power of Christ, can you share and seek to point that soul to Christ. It is only the work of the Holy Spirit that can win them to Christ. Familiarity with sin will inevitably cause it to appear Less repulsive. Let me say this. This is probably one of the number reasons, number one reasons why Christians are called hypocrites. They conform to the world. Seeking to win the world to Christ by doing the things of the world. But as it rightly says, it never converts the world to Christ. What type of enemy do we fight? (laughs) The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, for we wrestle not against what? Against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, against powers, against the what? Rulers of the darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're fighting against a foe, an enemy. Hmm, Let me, as the Bible tells us, who was Satan before? Lucifer, who was Lucifer, where was Lucifer? He was in heaven. How close was he to God? Very close to God. So close as if I'm standing. He had a love for God. He professed to be a worker of God. He was a part of the body of the heavenly family. And I could probably say he had the heavenly faith of religion. But he apostatized, therefore, apostasy simply means to abandon one's profession, to abandon one's religion, and to abandon one's faith. That's what apostasy simply is. What does the enemy try to do to us? Slowly breaking down the barriers between the world and the church He's slowly trying to help us to abandon our profession, to slowly abandon our faith, and lastly, abandon even our religion, the life we live. But who is the true victor? or who is the true victor over the enemy? 5:10 of great controversy Satan assailed Christ with his fiercest and most subtle temptations but he was repulsed in every conflict those battles were fought in our behalf those victories make it possible for us to conquer Christ will give you grace. It says here, strength to all who seek it. No man, hmm, now I have to read this so you get this into your minds because many Christians fail to acknowledge this point. No man without his consent can be overcome by Satan. Let me read that again. No man... Without his consent, can be overcome by Satan. It's your choice to choose to sin. For me to sin, it's my choice. The tempter has no power to control the will or to force. The soul to sin. So we can't even say, you know, well, the enemy caused me to do it. Who chose to do it? I did. He may distress, but he cannot contaminate. He can cause agony, but not defilement. The fact that Christ has conquered should inspire his followers with courage to fight manfully the battle against sin and Satan. So how did Christ overcome? Let's go back to the wilderness experience. And I'm coming to a close, so... For those who may be trying to look at their watches, I want to bring out a few points before we close. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Probably some could quote it off by memory. But when we read the Word of God, you know what? It does something serious. It really imprints in our minds what God is truly trying to tell us to help us to have that victory. Many times it's even with the reading of the Word of God, it's like a matter of fact, the way we read the Bible. Yeah, God said it, as if that's just it. But let's read it together. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. We all there? Amen. Amen. Let's read 2, 3. But he answered and said, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How ought we to live our lives? According to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 1 John 5 and verse 4. I read in your hearing. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. It says for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world even our what? Faith. faith. What is faith? Romans 10:17 Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by what? The Word of God. It is a gift, yeah. yes. Let me give you just the simple things which the Lord has shown me. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, it tells us we should examine ourselves. If you're taking notes, note down this point. We ought to examine ourselves. And isn't just a one-time examine, daily examine. We should become acquainted hmm, with our lives to see where do we easily succumb or easily allow ourselves to enter into that temptation where we so easily fall, or as Hebrews 12 and verse 1, the sin that so easily besets us, so easily we hold on to. We should be acquainted with every single point. And what to do with that then? We need to seek God's promise of victory over that temptation. So how often do we need it to come to the Word of God? Every day. Because as we examine, we need to find the victory over that temptation. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So seek God's promise of victory over that temptation. If it could be sexual temptation, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, what does that do? What do we do with sin? We capture it. We cast it down. But how do we do that? Only through the power of Christ. Job 31 verse 1, for that same sexual temptation, the thoughts that we may think or where we look upon. Could be a man, could be a woman. Make a covenant with your eyes that you will not look upon a maid or for a female, upon the man to lust after them. If you have thoughts of hate, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5, you can read the whole thing, but think no evil, the Bible tells us. That's what love does, thinks no evil. If you have pride, James 4, 6 and 10, we must humble ourselves before whom? Before God. And do you know what is the greatest promise of all over every single sin? What is sin? The transgression of what? Take time to memorize because you may be in far places, you may not have the Bible, but take time to memorize the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Start from verse 1, Exodus 20, starting from verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt not, or thou shalt have no other gods before me. And as you go through every single commandment, the enemy who is tempting you, do you know what he will do? James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to who? To God. Resist the devil, and what will he do? He will flee. You know the enemy hates the law of God. It's the law of love. It's what the government of God is about. So when he hears the law, because say it out loud, go over it constantly, he will flee because he hates God's government, God's love. So the commandments are, in actual fact, the greatest promises. Don't see it as thou shalt not or do not. Mm-mm. God is promising you will not have any other gods before him. That's the promise. In Psalms 119, verse 11, David said, simply, Thy word have I hid where? In my heart that I might not do what? Sin against thee. So what must we do? Hide the word in our hearts that we will not sin against God. Choose the world over God, to choose Satan, in actual fact, over God. The reason why we're so destitute of Christ is because we forget who he is. And we forget what we must do. John 1:14 simply says that the Word was made what? Flesh. So Jesus is the Word. So what must we do with the word? John chapter 15, verses 5 and 7. Simply says that I am the vine, ye of the branches, he that abideth in me. And I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. But where do we abide? That's where verse 7 comes in. If ye abide in me and my word, abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you that's the promise so when we take the word say lord do this he will do it why because god when god speaks things happen when god said let there be light what happened there was light so when god speaks he spake and it was done he commanded and it stood fast Seek the Word of God. It is our sword, as Ephesians 6 brings up. And this is my last quote I want to share with you. Back to the cross of Christ. What did Christ choose rather to do than to sin? He choose rather to die. So that's why he says, we must take up our cross daily and follow him. So what must we also do? We must also die. Self must die. We must crucify self. When we so him tempted, saying, uh-uh, I am the son of God. I am the daughter of God. That's what the Holy Spirit actually brings back to our remembrance. I'm not sure if you know that. The Holy Spirit does that continually. He brings to our remembrance who we really are. We're the sons and daughters of God. So who must we choose? Our father God or Satan? So what did Christ do? When tempted to come down off the cross, He chose rather to die than to sin. Believing in Christ and receiving his transforming grace is not guesswork, but a work which causes Christ's virtues to be reflected in mind and character. When you gain this experience, you will say, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The Lord, Jesus, shall be my portion forever. The power of the cross will move in you the mysterious springs of hope and fear adoration and love angels are watching and waiting and will witness to the fact that the world has you not jesus has found you sitting at his feet to learn from him the way the truth and the light Henceforth, surrendering your will to the will of Christ, you are drawn into a region where the cross is a central object. The world fades from your view. The glory shining from the threshold of heaven is the all-attractive influence. The riches of the grace of Christ hold you in willing obedience. Who is your enemy today? But who is your friend? Have your hymnals turned to me to 322.